24-hour period, your ass belongs to me, and according to my little watch right here, it means you got two damn hours to get my belt back, or I'm going to stop a mud hole in your ass and walk in dry. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. Welcome to Clutch Time with Mike on the mic. It's your favorite mic recording, your favorite podcast. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Um, let's jump right into things. We got a few things to talk about today. Um, I want to talk about Peyton Manning and Dirk Nowitzki, two of the all-time great players in the NFL and the NBA. And we do have some quick hitters I want to touch on um, about Isaiah Thomas, Landon Collins, and Colin Kaepernick. Um, cause you know, it's been a big week in sports with everything that's going on, plus the March Madness tournament going on. So it's, it's a lot that's going on. Um, but let's, let's jump right into it. So first I want to talk about Peyton Manning. Now, if you are a football fan or even a casual fan, I'm pretty sure that you've seen Peyton Manning. You've seen some of his commercials, all of that. It's pretty funny dude. Like, you know, he looks like. He doesn't do anything but sit around and drink beers and watch TV. But now he was one hell of a football player, and that was one funny individual. If you guys want to know how funny he is, watch the uh, watch the ESPYS. Uh, I believe it was in 2017 where he hosted the ESPYS. Yeah, that's a funny dude. It's a funny guy. Um, but Peyton Manning, as a football player, just to kind of give you his resume of what he is. He's a 14-time Pro Bowl quarterback, seven times All-Pro, first-team All-Pro. He's a five-time league MVP. That's a that's a record. I don't think anybody's close to that. He's won two Super Bowl championships, and he was a two-time AP Offensive Player of the Year. Um, any passing record, Peyton Manning's name is probably on the list. Attempts, completions, yards, touchdowns, all of that. The only one he might not be on is probably interceptions. He's probably not high up on that list. But um, when you talk about a player who is probably the smartest quarterback I've ever seen play, like, you know, in wrestling they call Triple H the cerebral assassin, that's what you can call Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is cerebral in his approach. Um, He – to watch some of the adjustments that he used to make at the line of scrimmage to where he made it look so easy, you just you used to just feel helpless for the defense. Um, he just used to pick defenses apart, and sometimes he used to marvel because he'd walk up to a line, walk up to the line, and he'd look, and he'd make a call, and the next thing you know, there's a receiver running down the, the seam wide open, like nobody even realized he was there. And you just be like, well, I wonder how that happened. And they show a replay of where he's calling out signals and he's calling out this and he's calling out the defense and everybody adjusted but the defense. So Peyton Manning was fun to watch for the time that he played. Um, You know, like I said, he was cerebral in his approach and he made the best defenses look stupid. Um, He made the best defenses look stupid in the regular season. Let's, let's let's be clear about that. The postseason, not so much. Um, if you have a debate about quarterbacks, Peyton Manning's going to come up somewhere on the list, which, you know, is rightfully so. But now that he's retired, I feel like it's kind of a good time to look at his career and kind of, I don't know, just critique and analyze it. Because I like Peyton Manning, but I just – I, I could never get behind the whole how are you so great in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it never failed. And what I've been what I mean by how great he was in the regular season, Peyton was drafted uh in nineteen ninety-eight out of Tennessee. He's twenty-two. He's a four-year starter at Tennessee. He's a bad boy. I'm trying to tell y'all. So Peyton Manning's first year in the league, they went three and thirteen. And then, um, you know, 13 and three the second year, 10 and six, six and 10. First four years in the league, two winning records, two losing records. Um, then after that, his team never had a losing record ever again. And what I mean by that is 10 and six, 
12 and 4, 12 and 4, 14 and 2, 12 and 4, 13 and 3, 12 and 4, 14 and 2, 10 and 6, 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 12 and 4, and then 7 and 2 before he ultimately ended up retiring um, in 2015. So all of those winning records. And generally, if you're 12 and 4, 13 and 3, 14 and 2, you either have the number one seed in the AFC or number two seed, and you've probably won your division. So just by reading off those records, you know, division titles or top for the division title and then a number one or two seed in the AFC, which means that you get a first round bye. My problem with Peyton Manning is when I say he used to terrorize defenses in the regular season, I mean, for those that are Baltimore Ravens fans, they know just like I know that the Ravens had some great defenses over the years between Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Haloti Nada, um, whoever they had playing at corner, and then uh, Rex Ryan being the defensive coordinator. And those were some defenses to to watch. Like the, the Ravens always had a chance. And there was one Sunday night game where it was a big matchup. It was the Colts versus the Ravens, and you got to see Ray Lewis, the leader of the defense, trying to make calls versus Peyton Manning's offense. And needless to say, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, you can quote me if I'm wrong, but I think the the Colts were up like 20 to nothing in a blink of an eye. And you could see them on the field, Ray Lewis making calls to kind of counteract what Peyton was doing, but Peyton would then make another call to counteract what Ray was doing, and Peyton got the best of them. But as we got to the playoffs – Peyton Manning, with all of those number one seeds and number two seeds and those buys, especially in Indy, he only beat, he only beat, if I'm not mistaken, he only beat Tom Brady once. And that was the year that they went to the Super Bowl against the Bears. Other than that, the other two times that they played, he lost. He got outdueled by Peyton Manning, or he got outdueled by Tom Brady, excuse me. I watched him lose to the Steelers. I watched him lose to the Chargers. Um, you just seen him lose to these teams, and, you know, I don't really need a lot of stats. And like I said, if you're a football fan and you you watched it, it's like how can you be so prolific in the regular season and then when the bright lights turn on, you just crumble. He looked like James Harden out there. Like, I don't know if y'all are watching, but James Harden just the other night dropped 61 61, he had 27 in the first quarter, 37 at halftime. He ended up with 61 points. But anybody who will tell you when you watch basketball, James Harden never shows up in the playoffs, never. And for Peyton Manning, I know people want to put him in a conversation with Tom Brady. For all of Tom Brady's faults, I could never say that Tom Brady didn't show up when the lights were on the brightest. The only time that I could think of to where Tom Brady just severely got outplayed, I believe was in 2010, if I'm getting the year right. They did play the Ravens in Baltimore, and um, the Ravens absolutely destroyed Tom Brady. That's the only one that I can think of. I've very rarely seen Tom Brady outplayed in the regular season or in the playoffs, but in the playoffs for Peyton, I've seen him outplayed quite a bit of times. Um, his very first Super Bowl win, uh, he beat Rex Grossman in the Chicago Bears. And if you don't know who Rex Grossman is, don't feel bad. A lot of people don't know who Rex Grossman is. I don't even think the NFL knows who Rex Grossman is, and he played for the, the NFL. Um, so they ended up winning that Super Bowl. And he got his first ring, so you could say he got the monkey off his back. But what do we say about all all great players in any sport? Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of great players can do it once. Can you do it more than once? The next Super Bowl that, you know, they played, the Colts played Drew Brees, in the New Orleans Saints. Now, if anybody that knows me, I think that Drew Brees doesn't get the credit he deserves because Drew Brees is as a prolific as a passer as I have ever seen. And he will pick your defense apart, and he's been doing it for a long time, and he's only six feet tall. But he got that going against him, and he's still just as good as anybody. 
He might not have the accolades of a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or a Joe Montana or or some of these other great quarterbacks, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, um, shit, uh, whoever. He he might not have he might not have those kind of accolades, but there's probably maybe three quarterbacks in history I would take before Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning isn't one of them. So that's what I think of of Drew Brees. Um, so they ended up playing and. Peyton, for his credit, you know, he got his team out to a lead. And then when halftime came, of course, everybody knows that the, you know, halftime is crucial because that's where adjustments are made. And whichever coach generally makes the best adjustments probably wins the game. And that night, the Saints made the better adjustments. And the biggest indictment that I have in that game is Peyton Manning had a chance. He had a chance to drive his team down the field and score, you know, the touchdown to tie the game up. But what did he do? He threw the game-winning interception, and the Saints scored, and that was the end of that. So Tom Brady, uh, excuse me, Peyton Manning to me, in games where he has to play against other quarterbacks who are on his level or above him, he just shrinks. And... It's it's crazy to say because of how great he is in the regular season. Now, I'm pretty sure, you know, I would have to literally go back through game logs after game logs after season after season to see how many times the Saints played the Colts or how many times Peyton Manning played Drew Brees. But I'm sure if they did play in the regular season, it wouldn't surprise me if Peyton won all of those. But when the, you know, when the, the, the lights are the brightest and the stage is the biggest, you know, he, he folded straight up. He folded. And what did, uh, I don't even remember his name from Miami back, you know, back in the day, Miami hurricanes. He said, big time players make big plays and big games and Peyton Manning for all of the big games he played. I don't think y'all can point out to me off the top of your head. One big play that Peyton Manning has made. I can't, I can't think of any, um, you know, he had that horrific, neck injury to where he had to miss a whole season. And literally we were thinking this is probably it for him. He's probably not going to be able to come back, but um, he got cleared by the doctors. The Colts didn't want him to play there. They felt like it was time to move on. He did all he could. They moved on. They drafted Andrew Luck and we've seen, you know, how that's going to go. It ain't over yet, but we're seeing how that's going. And Peyton went to the Denver Broncos up under the tutelage of one John Elway, who was another great quarterback. I'd still take Drew Brees over John Elway. Um, So he goes to Denver that first season. For all of us people who play fantasy football, we were all hurt because none of us drafted Peyton Manning. I don't remember who took Peyton in the league that I was in that year, but they won. Peyton threw 55 touchdowns that year. 55. Some people can't throw 55 touchdowns on Madden. So he threw the 55 touchdowns and they did, uh, he did beat Tom Brady, you know, going into the, um, the uh, Super Bowl. They played in the AFC championship game and he beat Tom Brady. I will give him that, but it was a home game, kind of a caveat. It was a home game. And, um, we all know that Denver's defense for those years that Peyton was there was the number one defense by far. They had two of the best corners. They had the best. They had the best secondary in the league, arguably the best secondary in the league. Um, they did have the best front four. Von Miller was Von Miller is a terror. He still is a terror. Um, they went to the Super Bowl and. The lights were on bright, and what happened? First play of the game, safety. Safety. Two points. If you ever talk to me about football or you talk, if you hear me and one of my best friends, Paul, talking about football, I don't care if you won the game 30-2. to If the other team get a safety on you, you lost. That's just how we talk about it. That's how we feel. So they got a safety, and the Seattle Seahawks with the Legion of Boom absolutely destroyed Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. 
Peyton Manning looked shell-shocked. He looked worried. He looked nervous. They they put the clamps on they put the clamps on the Broncos and embarrassed them on national TV. Peyton Manning. Now at this point, Peyton is one and one and two in Super Bowls. Three Super Bowls, one and two. And he's lost two straight. So we're talking about he's arguably the best quarterback ever. And he's getting he's out here looking out here looking shell shocked. Like y'all he looks scared. You know, you, a good way to beat a quarterback that can kill you in the pocket is to put pressure at his feet and make him have to think about it and get the happy feet and throw the ball before, you know, he, he wants to. That's what they did, and they made him look real bad. As opposed to the next year where Tom Brady absolutely carved up the, the Legion of Boom, like carved them up to the tune of like 130-something yards and two touchdowns uh, in the fourth quarter alone. So, you know, the Seahawks should have won two Super Bowls in a row. We know what happened at the end of that Patriots-Seahawks uh, Super Bowl. Pete Carroll's a dummy. But that just goes to show you that, as I always say, there's levels to this stuff. Peyton Manning, for as good as he is, he ain't Tom Brady. And to me, he's not a lot of quarterbacks just because of his postseason record. Um, and then, you know, they did get to the Super Bowl again, but anybody who watched that Super Bowl when it was the Broncos versus the Panthers, we all know Peyton Manning had absolutely nothing to do with them winning that Super Bowl. That year, Peyton Manning was definitely on his last arm, literally. He couldn't throw the ball down the field anymore. He wasn't reacting like he was like we're used to seeing, and it just looked like a struggle for him to play. It really did. He really rode that defense to a Super Bowl. And they ended up winning, so I'll give him that. He did get two Super Bowls. But really, in his career, I only give him one. That second one, that was all defense. That was Von Miller and Chris Harris and uh, whoever else they had playing back there in the secondary. That was that was them. Aqib Tlaib and, and all of them boys. They 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 asked, they made Cam Newton that MVP he won in 2015. They they erased all of that. He, yeah, he was the MVP, but whatever. So Peyton Manning, to me, for as good as he is or good as he was, he's not in the debate for all time great quarterbacks because there's a lot of quarterbacks that I think would go before him simply because. They did the regular season stuff, but they also performed in the postseason. And the biggest indictment against Peyton is it's not like Peyton was carrying teams that, you know, with players we never heard of. Peyton Manning played with Edron James, who was a great running back in the NFL. He played with Marvin Harrison, who's in the Hall of Fame. He played with Reggie Wayne, who may go into the Hall of Fame. He might. Dallas Clark. Um, he had Brandon Stokely as a, as a slot receiver. He had a decent defense. You know, they weren't the best defense, but they were good enough for them to never have losing records. So it's not like Peyton was carrying, you know, some plastic bags and, you know, a few trash cans to the playoffs. Like, you were playing with two receivers who went over 10,000 yards receiving, two of them. Some quarterbacks never played with one. He had two of them. And he had Edron James, who I think ran for over, who rushed for over 10,000 yards, or he was really, really close. So it ain't like he was playing with scrubs. He was playing with potential Hall of Famers. And it just seemed like at times Peyton was the weak link. And that's tough to say about a quarterback because we all know that, you know, the game is a team sport, but a quarterback can change your fortunes. Just ask the Green Bay Packers. Luckily for them, they have had two quarterbacks back-to-back who've kept them afloat. But whenever Aaron Rodgers is hurt, we see that that cupboard is pretty bare. They look terrible. With Aaron Rodgers, they look like a playoff team, Super Bowl contender. Without him, they look like first pick in the draft. So that tells you all you need to know. Ask the Colts. As good as Peyton, like I said, Peyton Manning was a regular season quarterback. That year that he was hurt, I believe they were like 2-14 and 14 or 1-15. They were terrible. That's how they got the first overall pick, and that's how they drafted Andrew Luck. So quarterbacks make franchises go, but quarterbacks also are the reason for Super Bowl wins. 
And Peyton Manning, for as great and lofty as a player he as he is, I don't know, man. The one Super Bowl you played against a subpar quarterback and you just outplayed him and won a Super Bowl. When you played against one of the all-time great quarterbacks, you lost. And you threw the game-winning interception. And then when you played against an all-time great defense, you fell flat on your face. And then the, the next Super Bowl that y'all won, you you just relied on the defense and you were just there. You know, what, what did Marshawn Lynch say? I was just there so I didn't get fired. That's what Peyton Manning was doing. So, like I said, I'm never not going to say that Peyton Manning isn't one of the all-time greats, but it's easy for me to take him out of, you know, the all-time greatest quarterbacks to ever play, like the GOAT conversation of quarterbacks. It's easy to kind of, you know, you might you can put him in there and mention his name, but it's easy for me to put an X beside his name. It's very easy for me. So, I know I got a few Peyton Manning fans um, they're probably not going to like this, but I'm just telling the truth. I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels this way. So, um, whatever, but, um, uh, real quickly, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I kind of want to talk about dirt and this idea that I had, well, it's not an idea, just a thought. Um, I kind of want to let y'all hear it. Y'all can give me feedback on what y'all think. Um, y'all might think I'm full of it, but I mean, it sounds good to me. So we'll talk about it. So we'll be right back with more clutch time with Mike on the mic. Real quick word from the sponsors. We'll be back. Barnett comes out on the ground. Now they switch it. Here's Pierce again. A Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Has given the Cavaliers their biggest lead tonight. Now it's 14th in points allowed, 8th in field goal defense, and that says a lot. Here comes McCready. Oh, he just sucked the gravity right out of the building. All right, y'all. So welcome back to Clutch Time with Mike on the mic. It's your favorite mic recording your favorite podcast um, here now. So in the first segment, we was talking about Peyton Manning. In the second segment, um, I just want to talk about Dirk for a minute. Dirk Nowitzki. I don't know if y'all know who that is, but Dirk is like the greatest, second greatest, second greatest uh, international born basketball player. Um, Dirk has been playing 21 seasons, and I don't know if this is going to be his last year. Um, I have no idea, but the way that it's looking, that's what it looks like. Every arena he goes to, all of the fans want to see him make shots. And they all give him a standing ovation, and, you know, he goes on to the next city. He's a true legend of the game. And just off the top of my head of what I know about Dirk, he's a multiple-time All-Star, I would say at least 10-plus times. He's an NBA champion, NBA Finals MVP. He's a regular season MVP. Um, And that's all I can think of off the top of my head. But – Dirk did, for the record, when Dirk won his championship in 2011, Dirk and the Dallas Mavericks swept the NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers with Kobe and Paul Gasol and Andrew Bynum and Phil Jackson, Lamar Odom, Derek Fisher, those guys. Um, He swept them four games to nothing. He then played the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, beat them four games to one. They then went on to the NBA championship. They beat LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, with Eric Spolster as the coach and uh, Pat Riley being the head of the Heat organization. They beat them four games to two. So he basically beat a who's who of NBA Hall of Famers. He beat LeBron, D. Wade, Kobe, Kevin Durant, who were probably going to go down well, not probably. They will go down as some of the greatest players we've ever seen. Chris Bosh is probably going to make the Hall of Fame, two-time champ, good power forward. Pal Gasol is probably going to make the Hall of Fame, um, you know, two-time champ, one of the you know most skilled power forwards you've ever seen. Kevin Durant, probably the best scorer that the NBA's ever seen. Russell Westbrook, Mr. Triple-Double. Um, he's probably about to average a triple-double for the third year in a row. James Harden, um, you know, I have my issues with James Harden, but 
I know that the NBA is a numbers game, and he's putting up numbers, so he might win his second MVP this year. That's who Dirk beat. That is what I'm saying, people. That is who Dirk beat. But as you guys have heard me say before, now follow me, follow me, follow what I'm saying. As you guys have heard me say before on the previous podcast, Steph Curry is the best shooter that I have ever seen, without question. Better than all of them. Better than his daddy. Better than Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Steve Nash, um, any shooter you can think of, Paige Stoyakovich, Larry Bird, um, any of those guys that you can think of, Mark Price, all of them. He's better than all of them. Steph Curry changed the game of basketball, like no doubt. Steph Curry has made it to where if you are, he's made centers irrelevant. Put it that way. He's made centers irrelevant in the game of basketball when centers for a time is what rule was what ruled the NBA. Power forwards at a time was what ruled the NBA. Nowadays, if you're a power forward and they switch and you can't come out and guard a guard, you're probably useless in today's NBA. So I say all of that to say, while Steph Curry changed the game, like he took the baton and he he blew it all up and he took off with it. I would argue that Dirk is the one who basically took the baton first and realized that I can't I'm not gonna be able to finish the race. Let me give it to Steph and let him blow this whole thing up, like let him be the closer. But I think Dirk is the one that started the whole what they call today positionless basketball. And what I mean by that is Dirk is a seven-foot power forward who could shoot threes. And you got to remember when Dirk was coming up through the league, power forwards were was probably the hardest position to say who was the best. When Dirk was coming up, it was Dirk. Chris Webber with the Kings, it was Tim Duncan with the Spurs, Kevin Garnett with the Timberwolves, Rasheed Wallace with whatever team he was playing with, Jermaine O'Neal with the Pacers, guys like that. That's Those were the power forwards in the league that was that were dominating. Like power forward at one time, you could probably make the argument in the early 2000s was the best position in basketball. You could probably make that argument. So that's what Dirk was coming – that was Dirk was going to get up against. But what what made it hard for teams to guard Dirk? Because Dirk could step out behind the three-point line and shoot the basketball. Now, in today's game, that is a regular occurrence. But back then, trying to trying to see Tim Duncan having to come out and guard somebody on the three-point line is absolutely crazy. Could you imagine Tim Duncan, as good as a defensive player as he was, to try to come out and guard Steph Curry? So that's what he was trying to do back in the day with Dirk. So Dirk was, to me, the first true stretch forward in basketball. He made it to where you could space the floor, you could get more three-point shooters, and it was easier for you know teams to attack the basket or attack the basket. So I would say Dirk, like put it this way, Dirk was running, they was running the four by one or four by four. I'm not really, you know, big on track outside of the Olympics, but he was running a relay race, and he had to, you know, he started it. He had to hand the baton to Steph Curry. In this inst- in this analogy, Steph Curry would be um, Usain Bolt, and you, we all know what Usain Bolt is to to track, fastest man on the planet. And Steph took off and broke some record, and you know, changed basketball, but. Dirk was the first stretch four, and Dirk made it to where you started to see more power forwards kind of developing a jump shot, more than outside of that mid-range jumper. Um, like KG had a mid-range jumper. You know, he had his back to the basket, but KG's double shimmy over, you know, his right shoulder was uh, was one of the, you know, it was an unstoppable move. Tim Duncan with his little bank shot. Jermaine O'Neal had the same, you know, fadeaway jumper. Rasheed Wallace could shoot the three, but he couldn't shoot it like Dirk could. So Dirk kind of made it to where some power forwards started to, you know, step out and shoot the basketball more. Look at Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh developed one hell of a jump shot, and he was a killer, you know, from the elbow shooting shooting the jumper, and he could step out to shoot threes. 
And I would attribute that to Dirk to where he was making it to where power forwards were kind of coming out more and let me shoot more shots, maybe let me, you know, make my game more versatile. And then Steph Curry came along and Steph Curry basically made it to where like seriously, who who what back to the basket center is in the NBA now and is flirt and is flourishing. There there ain't one. Joel Embiid, I mean, he's got a post game, but Joel can step out and shoot the three, and Joel can dribble the basketball and hit you with a little move and dunk it. Uh, Anthony Davis the same way, and Anthony Davis, before he got as tall as he was, used to be a point guard, so he's got handles and he can shoot. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge has got a jumper, but look at LaMarcus Aldridge. He's the traditional power forward. I mean, he can shoot, and he can step out and shoot threes, but that ain't really his game. But look at what LaMarcus Aldridge was in Portland. He, in my opinion, was one of the best power forwards in the league. And then he went to the Spurs, where the Spurs played at that up and down, spread him out, shoot three-point shots, and he ain't looked the same since. So it's not for everybody. So I would attribute that to Dirk, you know, starting the movement, but Steph Curry really taking off with it. Like he's took it, he took it to another level. So, you know, I want to give Dirk his credit for that because that's just how, you know, impactful Dirk was on the game. And I'm just like everybody else. I'm a fan. And the closer you see, you see them to the end of their game, it's like, oh man, you really got to appreciate what they did for the game of basketball. Now, every player can't say that they did something for the game of basketball. They were just, you know, great players in a league and a long list of players. But Dirk, in my opinion, Dirk kind of made it to where stretch fours were looked at differently and uh, started, you know, very slowly the change in the game of basketball. And then again, like I said, Steph Curry took it, ran with it, and completely changed the game to where, you know, if you don't have quick feet and you're not, you know, you're not good enough to step out and shoot jumpers, you're probably not going to make it in basketball. And my be- and a good example of that is – um, a lot of y'all watched uh, in 2015 in college basketball, the two best teams in basketball were Duke and Kentucky. They had those two awesome recruiting classes, and it just seemed like they were on a collision course for the Final Four. It was Jaleel Okafor and Carl Anthony Towns. Now, they didn't end up getting to meet in the championship. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that, but Carl Anthony Towns, you know, at the beginning of the year, wasn't looked at as the number one overall draft pick. It was between Jaleel Okafor and whoever else that they wanted to say at the time. Um, Jaleel Okafor, had he come around, you know, about 20 years ago, he probably would have been great. He had one hell of a back-to-the-basket game, good feet, good hands. Um, his post game was out of this world. Carl Anthony Towns has a post game, but Carl Anthony Towns also has a jumper, and he could step out and shoot threes. Now, Carl Anthony Towns went on to be the number one overall pick. Jaleel Okafor went, ended up going third. Now, Jaleel Okafor has been on multiple teams because Jaleel Okafor already wasn't the best defender, and his game doesn't really fit in today's NBA because he's a back-to-the-basket player. He's not coming out to set screens and pick and pop. You know, he's rolling to the basket to get, you know, to get a finish. He's not out here trying to space the floor because that's just not his game. Carl Anthony Towns can come out and run a pick and pop because they can pass the ball to him and he can hit that three, you know, maybe not as consistently as his coaches would want, but he could hit that three-point shot. That versatility, I think to me, that started with Dirk. And then, as again, Steph Curry took it over the top. So, you know, for everything that Dirk has done for the game of basketball, I think he had he has had a lasting impact, and he has shown that international players can come in and you know do their thing. Dirk, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Dirk is fifth or sixth on the all-time scoring list now. He just passed uh, Wilt Chamberlain the other day. You know, with scoring all-time now, Dirk has been playing 20 years, but you just don't see. You just don't see somebody with that kind of longevity, and Dirk is one of the most loved players. That's why it's kind of hard to see when players go out. Now, like I said, and I said in the previous podcast, I'm not a Kobe fan, never have been, never will be. But when Kobe retired, it was kind of like, dang, Kobe's gone. What are we going to do? Dirk is about to retire. Oh, man, Dirk is gone. 
what are we going to do? Dwayne Wade is on his last season. Oh man. I'm not going to I'm not going to be used to watching Miami Heat games without Dwayne Wade on the court. Tim Duncan retired the same year as Kobe. Oh my gosh. I haven't watched the Spurs game since. Uh Tim Duncan is gone. What what am what am I going to do? When like I know for everybody, everybody don't like LeBron. That's fine. Cool. But when LeBron retires, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I hardly wanted to watch the NBA this year. And then when he got hurt, I was just like, dang, I really don't want to watch it now. And now that we know that the Lakers aren't going to the playoffs, do I really even want to watch the playoffs? Like, it's, it, you know, LeBron could have lost in the first round. I still would have wanted to watch it, but he's not going to be there. That's why when you're, you know, you're an all-time great and your fans can see the the, the incoming, it's kind of like, oh, man, I got to come to grips that these Jokers are humans and they're not immortals. I don't know who I'm going to watch in the NBA going forward. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be Zion. Maybe it's going to be John Morant from Murray State. Who knows? Some other player. I, I don't know. So, you know, if Dirk, if this is Dirk's last year, I just want to say to Dirk, man, you had one hell of a career. You had ups and downs, but it was great to watch. And to Dwayne Wade, man, I, you look like you're on a high right now because you know that, you know, I won three titles. I won a, a gold medal in the Olympics. You know, I got a finals MVP, and I'm one of the best shooting guards to ever play, and I am the Miami Heat. Um, uh, Wade County, not Dade County. It's it's Wade County. So, you know, I definitely, you know, I'm sad to see them go, but, you know, it all got to come to an end for everybody, um, you know, when you uh, you're a real legendary player. Sorry, Paul Pierce. They don't love you like that. You thought you was Kobe? They don't love you like that. Shout out to Draymond Green for that quote. Um, so real quickly, just a few quick hitters real that I want to touch on. It's been going on all week. First of all, this one has been bugging my whole soul since it happened. Now, like I said, March Madness is going on and March Madness is one of the craziest times of the year. Now, I don't know who didn't see it, but for those who did see it, there was Michigan State as a two seed. They were playing the 15 seed Bradley. Now, this is in the first half now. First half. Game is close. And Tom Izzo or whoever calls the timeout, Tom Izzo proceeds to go the hell off on one of his players. This player is a freshman, and Tom Izzo is giving it to him. I mean, he is going off, pointing his finger, and he is fussing at him. They, you know, they bring the chairs around for them to sit around the coach. And, you know, Tom Izzo is still going at this player, and the player is talking back. And then, you know, you see Tom Izzo kind of lunge at him like, man, you know, whatever he said, who knows? Now, of course, in today's society and world, everybody feels like you can't hold people accountable and you can't do this and you can't do that and blah, 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 and this, that, and the third. Let me say from the bottom of my heart, if you as a parent, a fan, a commentator, whatever, if you had a problem with what Tom Izzo did, you are what's wrong with today's society. If you feel like a coach cannot hold a kid accountable for his actions, then you have set your kids up for failure and you probably set yourself up for failure. Me, I played for some tough coaches. Even in peewee football, Coach Knotts used to rip us a new one. And I always appreciate it because it made me better in the long run. In high school, I played for a man named Bob Paroli. Anybody around Fayetteville that grew up when I grew up, and even now he's still coaching. Coach Bob is like 4,000 years old, but I love him to death. Coach Bob didn't hold words back for anybody. I don't care who you were, star player, whatever. You could have been a star player or you could have been somebody who never played. You was going to get the same energy that he just gave to somebody on the field. If you did something wrong on the sideline or they put you in for a play and you blew it, oh, you was going to get an earful. Absolutely loved it. Made me a better person today. For those that saying, oh, you're not going to talk to my kid like that and I just think it's disrespectful and you don't have no reason to go off on a kid like that, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if a coach is questioning your kid's effort, you don't need to be talking to the coach. You need to be talking to your kid. 
because if your kid's not giving the best effort that you've been given a scholarship where you ain't got to pay for nothing and you come into play and a coach has to question your effort, then you deserve to get fussed out. If you feel like you can't hold a kid accountable these days and age, then again, that's what's wrong with these kids now. Everybody gets a participation trophy and this, that, and the third. When I was growing up, if you lost, you lost. Your coaches say, good game, better luck next time, and you moved on. Y'all want to give everybody these trophies for participating and saying, oh, good job, even though you lost, great job, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. If you lost, you lost. You got to learn to take your losses with your wins. This is wrong with kids these days. They're so, uh, I just, it, it works my soul to see these kids who they lose the game and their parents is like, oh, my God, um, good job. It doesn't matter that you lost. Um, whatever. It does matter that you lost. You have to learn from those losses. I don't, I don't get it. Y'all, when I was a freshman in high school, I didn't, you know, I had never wrestled a day in my life. All I knew was WWE. I had never actually wrestled. Never heard, never saw it, never thought anything about it. My sister decided to wrestle. My dad was like, why don't you do it? My sister said the same thing. Cool. Y'all, I didn't win one match my freshman year. Not one. All of them losses. It was a lesson for each one of them. And then all it took my sophomore year was one win and the ball got rolling. Then sophomore, junior, senior year, you know, I learned. I 100% effort, still lost some, but I was still winning. And my coach, for every loss and every win, he still held me accountable for whatever I did in that match that he didn't he didn't like. And, again, I feel like I'm a better person for it. So, again, if you have a problem with what Tom Izzo did, you know, and fussed that kid out, I'm sorry. You just need to re- reevaluate life. And if you think that that is bad <sighs> – it's been a lot of other coaches who've done a lot worse, and people ain't got nothing to say about it. What do you think football players go through, even in the pros? I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't even chewed out and, you know, chewed a new butthole, and I had to go home and reevaluate what I wanted to do with my life. Any real athlete will tell you, if your coach ain't fussing you out and he ain't ripping you a new one for every single little thing, then he don't care. If you mess up on a play, you fumble the ball, you miss a blocking assignment, you miss a tackle, you you know you throw an interception, whatever the case may be, and your coach doesn't say a thing to you after the play, your coach don't care about you no more. You have come to the point where he doesn't care. You're just a body that's there, and he he doesn't believe in you anymore. That's a proven fact. So the fact that Tom Izzo went off on – this kid who's a freshman, that means that Tom Izzo believes in his potential and he sees him as somebody who can contribute to the program. And if that's that kid's dream to get to the NBA, Tom Izzo is one hell of a coach to get you to the NBA. That's all I'm saying. So if you got a problem with it, kick rocks. And, you know, you probably wondering why you still fixing the ice, ice cream machine at McDonald's. And you ain't holding nobody accountable. You're not even holding yourself accountable because you ain't fixed it right the first time. Now it's broke again. Now you're going back out there. That's y'all damn problem. Anyways, moving on. Moving on. That just that just touched my spirit. <sighs> Jesus. So, second thing of order. Um, going back to the NFL. There are a lot of things that go on in the league. There are a lot of players who come and go. We've seen them come and go, some of the biggest names, some of the, the, the biggest busts in history, some of the craziest storylines. Any football fan will tell you that when we found out that Sean Taylor, who was a safety for the Redskins, was murdered, his house was robbed, he was shot in the thigh, and whatever the artery it was that they hit, they couldn't stop the bleeding fast enough, and he ended up dying. Tragic moment in history. It just was tragic. I still feel bad about it, and I'm not even a Redskins fan, but I love Sean Taylor's game. Now, he died four years into his league career, and anybody who watched football knows that Sean Taylor was on his way to becoming one of the best safeties in the game and probably one of the best safeties to ever play. That's how good he was, and I felt like he played the game the right way. He knocked the punter out in a Pro Bowl game, all-star friendly game, He knocked the punter out. That is what I'm here for. That's what I love to see. 
Now he was he died, and since then, nobody that I can recall has worn number 21 for the Redskins. They just signed Landon Collins about two weeks ago. And Landon Collins, for everything he is, he's a great safety, probably the second best safety in football behind Earl Thomas. He said he hopes that he can wear number 21 in honor of Sean Taylor. No, 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 no. They need to retire that number 21, and nobody should be able to wear it. The fact that the man was on his way to being great and it was taken away from him in such a senseless act and how a lot of Redskins fans feel about it, and trust me, I have a lot of friends that are Redskins fans, retire his number. Nobody should be able to wear that number. There are certain numbers that once that player is done playing, you know, you don't have to retire it league-wide, but for that franchise, retire that number. And even if, you know, the NFL wanted to, they could retire the number around the league. That was such a sensitive situation that a lot of people to this day still talk about Sean Taylor. And Sean Taylor's been gone for a long time. That's the kind of impact he had on the NFL. So remove that. Now, I had this debate on Facebook and people were saying, well, people were saying that it doesn't matter. You know, he can wear the number. The guy wasn't, you know, that great of a player. You know, he had the potential, but we didn't get to see it, unfortunately. Okay, cool. Everybody's, you know, got their opinion. But my response was, well, you know, rest in peace to Pat Tilden. He was serving for our country. That's how he died. But before that, he was in the NFL. And Pat Tillman, as a football player, sucked. And they retired his number. So nobody can wear that number in Arizona. So in Washington, just as a respect thing, retire Sean Taylor's number. Nobody should be able to wear it. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. Nobody should be able to wear 21 that plays for the Washington Redskins. Nobody. (sighs) Okay. Now, next thing. It was reported about Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed from Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal from a source saying that Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed um, in their NFL, you know, collusion case and settlement only got $10 million total between the two of them. So $10 million between those two people plus whoever they had to pay for their attorney. So um, the in the non-disclosure agreement is really killing me because I, I, I want to know what is in this agreement. That's the part that's killing me. But, of course, a lot of people are like, well, if they're only getting $10 million, then why did they settle? Now people are kind of looking at Cap like, man, what did, what, did, what did you just do? Like you put us through all of that to say – you got $10 million between the two of y'all. What, what's going on? Now, my only response to that, because there's really not a lot of information out there about this. I listened to First Take. I listened to Undisputed. Um, I read about it as much as I could, but there's just not that much information out there because it's a non-disclosure agreement about what was agreed upon. Um, I will say that the Wall Street Journal and Wall Street itself is in New York City. The NFL offices are in New York City. It would take all of maybe five minutes to probably walk from an NFL office to Wall Street and walk up to somebody and say, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed only got $10 million between the two of them, end quote, walk off. Now, of course, they're going to report it. They can't reveal their sources. But to me, this looks like a ploy by the NFL to say, you know, we didn't do it. We didn't we didn't concede you know, we only gave them $10 million between the two of them and their lawyers, so they didn't they didn't win anything. That seems like something the NFL would do because y'all know how I feel. I think Roger Goodell is an absolute piece of trash. I just don't – I don't respect him whatsoever, and neither do the fans. He gets booed at every NFL draft when he comes out to make the first pick. He sucks as a commissioner. Where's Adam Silver from the NBA? Somebody call Paul Tagliabue and bring him back because Roger Goodell is the worst. Moving on. Last thing I want to talk about real quickly. I don't know if you guys saw it or even know you know what it was for, but the Denver Nuggets played the Boston Celtics um, the other night, and the Celtics gave uh, IT a tribute video. Now, there was a whole controversy the year before because – the night that they decided to retire Paul Pierce's jersey, they were supposed to give a tribute to IT, and Paul Pierce made a whole thing about it. Like, this is my night; he can get his his uh, IT or he can get his tribute video at another time. Blah 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 blah. 
They didn't show it. You know, IT eventually said, you know, it's cool. It's his night, blah, blah, blah. Paul Pierce got what he wanted. But Paul Pierce's retirement thing was after the game. And, you know, it wasn't even on NBA TV. That shows you how much they care about Paul Pierce. I don't like Paul Pierce, y'all. So that's why I'm, you know, being salty. Whatever. So they showed this video the other night for him. And after the game, Isaiah Thomas said, oh, if I was still playing for the Celtics, we would have won a championship. Pause, pause, pause. So let me quickly tell y'all this quick story. Isaiah Thomas played for the Celtics, and tragically in um, the playoffs 2015-2016 season, I believe, or 2016-2017, excuse me, um, Isaiah Thomas's sister, you know, tragically passed away in the middle of the playoffs. Unexpected, you know, she died. Isaiah Thomas went to be with his family. He came back and he played the rest of the playoffs. He didn't miss any games. He didn't take any time off. None of that. Heroic, great thing to see. We'll never fault him for that. For that, he did what he did. He figured that might be the best way for him to cope with his sister passing away is to get on the basketball court and get away from it all. Cool. The Celtics then, you know, he got hurt. The Celtics then traded him to the Cavaliers, and he was salty because that is what all fans say. You're loyal to an organization, but they can just do whatever they want to with you. And for me, for Isaiah Thomas, the reason why his career is going the way it is is because Isaiah Thomas doesn't know when to shut up. And when I said what I mean by that is he's still talking about the Celtics as if he's going to go back to the Celtics and he feels like they were going to win a championship. You got to realize, man, you had one good season. One good season, you were fifth in the MVP voting. Fifth. There's there's some players who are first or second in the MVP voting every year. You had one good season, and the season that y'all were number one in the East, um, y'all got destroyed by the Cavs, and you played the first two games. Granted, you were hurt, but you were out there, and y'all lost. Then you got traded to the Cavs, and they traded you to the Lakers, and then you're in Denver now. You're on four teams in two seasons. Bruh, hush it up. Stop talking. You're killing yourself. That's all I really got to say. Um, Again, thank y'all for listening. I appreciate it. Clutch time with Mike on the mic.